Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Well, good morning. It's good to have you. We're going to, uh, in a moment, share the Lord's table together. But before we do that, let's dive into the Word. And the reason I want to do that today is because I think the Word, in so many ways, sets the table for us to come to the table today. And so I'm going to ask that you do this. If you'd open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to continue our study, Empowered for Life. We're studying through the book of Ephesians, and I've kind of subtitled these, uh, these portions of Scripture, especially in Ephesians chapter 6, Preparing for Life's Battles. And I want to talk to you just a moment about that and what Ephesians chapter 6 teaches us about life's battles and the things we deal with and how, how can we be equipped to do the things that God has called us to do. But before we go into the Word, let's do this. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you today for... Your amazing grace and the way that you protect us, the way that you keep us. We are grateful for that today. We pray that your word would transform our hearts, that we would be made different in your image. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen. Listen, this word tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that you have been equipped to win. Say this with me. I have been equipped to win. I have been equipped to win. That's what the scripture tells us. The Bible lets us know that Jesus hasn't thrown us out to the wolves. He hasn't thrown us out to the world to make it on our own. But it says here that we, through this scripture, we have been equipped to win. It's very clear what the Bible teaches us. And I want to read it with you today, beginning at verse 10. And we're going to read Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 together. It says this. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always be on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whatever I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I want to talk to you just for a moment about what this word speaks to us about being equipped and what it looks like to be equipped. I talked to you last week and kind of set the stage for us to dive into the items or the articles that are found in the armor of God. Now, I told you that you had to give me a little freedom, and I'm going to take advantage of that today. I'm going to cash in on a little grace here. I'm not going to cover all the items in the armor of God. 
I got into this and I started looking at this and realized that just even the first phrase that we're going to look at in just a moment took about 20 minutes for me just to soak in and then took me a little longer for me to apply it to my own life and say, man, I love this. I want to talk about this a little more. So today we're going to talk about two of the items. Next weekend, we're going to go to the other four items that are found in the armor of God. Now, I'm going to remind you of a few things. Paul is using a metaphor here. It's pretty obvious that Paul uses a metaphor that has to do with the armor of a soldier. Particularly, it's a Roman soldier. And how this armor can be translated into spiritual armor that every believer in Christ should, as he says, as he commands, put on. Wear it. He's giving this. It's not an option. He's saying you need to wear this to make it. You need to wear this because I'm fitting you for victory so that you are made, you're equipped to win. Now I want you to remember something that I talked about last weekend. And at the time that Paul was writing this letter, he was in a Roman prison. He was probably chained to a Roman soldier. So when he started thinking about spiritual warfare, he looked at the man next to him and he noticed that the same way that this soldier was armed and protected and the way that he could go into battle, God has provided strength to protect us in battle as well. You see, each item on this list parallels a behavior. I want you to know this. When you're reading this, if you're reading this in the original language, there are so many action words and terms here. It's about how we live life. Paul doesn't want us to get caught up on the items and what they, what they look like. He wants us to understand that these items parallel certain qualities, certain characteristics, certain behavior that we should live by. And he says that if you arm yourself this way, if you live this way, then you are fitted for victory, that you're made to win. And so we need to keep this in mind. What I want you to look at just for a moment with me is, is uh, the first part of the Ephesians 6.14. It says this and it begins and it says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The command stand firm then is so rich. I, I mentioned that just a moment ago. And when I was reading this, I thought this is amazing. I love what it says here. And all the implications uh, that are brought to my mind. There, there are times in life's battles, and maybe you'll agree with me, there are times in life's battles that all you can do is stand your ground. For whatever reasons, it's difficult to advance. There may be some obstacles. There may be things in the way. But one thing you can do is after doing everything to stand, you stand firm. Now, I want to say this because I think in some circles, especially in charismatic circles, this notion means that you're not spiritual, that you need to be advancing all the time. Listen, soldiers can't advance all the time. You can't advance all the time. There are, most, there, there are so many opportunities that we have in life that the Lord says, I want you to stay right here and I want you to stand your ground. I want you to hold this ground. Listen, we need to know that the most spiritual thing that you can do at times is to stand. Did you realize that the New Testament word stand or standing is equivalent to the Old Testament word waiting? Waiting on the Lord. How, what happens when I wait on the Lord? I gain strength. What happens when I wait on the Lord? I know that victory will soon follow. In fact, this is the fourth time that Paul uses this or exhortation to stand in verses 11 through 14. This is one of the only passages where Paul is using the language of a field general in battle. He's commanding. 
He's actually going out of his way and he's making sure that the readers understand this is how you must live. There are no options to putting on the armor of God. You must put on the whole armor of God. And he uses military language here. And I hope we catch that. I hope that sinks into our own lives. And I don't know how many of you are... are, uh, History buffs, I love to study history. I'm by no means or way an expert, but I do recognize that there have been more wars and battles won throughout history by armies who could outstand the other army. There's one particular civil war battle. It's the Gettysburg, the Battle of Gettysburg. And there's this story about Colonel Joshua Chamberlain. It's an incredible, inspiring story. This man was told along with some other of his comrades to take what is called Little Round Top. Little Round Top was a a strategic location. It didn't look like much, but whoever held that little mountain, that little top, they were going to win the battle. When he got up to fight and he had his men with him, about 300 men, he realized that he was on the very far left of the battle line. That he was responsible to keep the enemy from outflanking the whole line. He stood his ground. It is one of the longest standstills in all of the Civil War. Amazing feat. What he did is he held that left flank and even so much that his army would hinge. That when the enemy would come, it would hinge back on each other. They said sometimes in the battle, his own men were standing about 100 yards back to back. And then the, 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 the line would hinge back out and then it would hinge again. And the wave of the enemies would come and it would hinge out and hinge back. He stood his ground and because he stood his ground, they say that he singularly took control of that battle, and the Union Army won, which took the Battle of Gettysburg. Amazing story about a man who was so courageous, so strong, but he understood the value of standing ground, of holding the ground. And I think spiritually we need to understand the same thing. There may be some of you today just standing your ground. I love what the scripture says here. It says to stand firm. And after doing everything to stand, stand fast. Listen, please, please, never underestimate the power of standing firm when it comes to winning your spiritual battles. Well, what about my marriage? Stand firm. What about my prodigal child? Stand firm. What about my health? Stand firm. What about my finances? Stand firm. And after doing everything to stand, the Bible says stand firm. Now here's something else that I think you should know about the winning value of standing firm and maybe stating to you the obvious, maybe some of you read this and already know what what this looks like and where I'm headed, but, but did you notice how the armor has been designed? It's designed to stand your ground and or advance. It's not designed for retreat. Your armor, the armor of God, is not designed for you to retreat. In fact, when you retreat, there's no armor on your posterior. That's when death is surely to follow. And so this armor is designed that I stand, I hold my ground, or I advance. And I want to keep that in mind about the armor of God. I want to make sure I understand that I stand firm, hold my ground, and when God tells me, I can advance. Now, there's something else about the armor, the design of the armor, and that's this. It's most effectively used in the company of multiple soldiers. 
Certainly it's designed for the individual soldier, but its greatest strength is when you're with a team of soldiers. Now, a Roman soldier would have two kinds of shields. They would have a small shield, and that was for close quarter battle. That's where they would use a sword and a small shield. But then there was this other kind of shield. It was about six foot tall. And when the company would get together, or the battalion would get together, or the brigade would get together, and they were going against their enemy, they would throw those shields up over the top of them, you can see in the picture, and all around them, and there were no arrows that could penetrate that shield. That's like a, an ancient tank that was coming after you. And the reason I'm saying that is I, I think this, I think there are probably a lot of tired and worn soldiers here today And the reason that you're tired and worn is you've been standing alone. You don't have to stand alone. Certainly the armor of God works for you as a person, as an individual. But the armor of God is so much more effective when you stand with other like-minded brothers and sisters, like-minded soldiers that stand firm with you, that are armed like you're armed. One will put 1,000 to flight. Two will put 10,000 to flight. I love the math when it comes to conquering in Jesus' name. And if you're standing alone, don't stand alone anymore. You no longer have to stand by yourself. There are people that will stand with you. I like what it says. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. You see, in the ancient garment of that day, the belt or the girdle, and that's the way it's uh, described in some other accounts, about your waist or about your loins, held in place every other part of the soldier's armor. So it's an understatement to say it was essential to the soldier's success in battle. I was reading about a particular ancient battle that took place with a, with a very smart, clever general. And he was outnumbered. And he knew the next day he was going to be outnumbered in battle. So he designed this scheme, this plan that would help him win. That would tip the odds in his favor. He knew the army that he was going to fight. The enemy he was going to fight. They were rebel rousers. They would get together at night and they would drink and get drunk and fall asleep. And he took advantage of that. They all fell asleep and he, he sent in like his Navy SEALs, his, his best uh, covert operation. And he went in and he had them do one thing. He said to them, when you go into camp, what I want you to do is find their belt and cut it. Just cut it and get out. The next day, the battle cry sounded. The enemy jumps up and they find that they can't hold their pants up. Their belts are cut. And it all depended, their, their whole armor depended on this, this waist, this girdle belt. And so can you imagine holding up your pants and trying to swing a sword with, with the other hand? And I know it looks like and sounds like comedy relief, but when you're in the middle of a battle and your life depends on it, it's not very funny. So these guys are running around trying to hold up their britches and take care of the enemy. Didn't work, to say the least, they lost. You see, the the waistband, the girdle, is important for our success. Now, I'd always thought when I read this passage of Scripture, the truth that's being spoken of there is like doctrinal truth, and I know how important that is. And certainly that's the foundation of what's being said. But again, Paul is making a statement here that has to do with how that truth is lived out in your life. It's an action verb here. And what he's saying here, and this is the way it would read, Stand firm then with the belt of truthfulness or sincerity of heart buckled around your waist. Paul is talking about behavior. He's talking about truthful living, truthful thinking, truthful speaking. 
You see, a soldier's belt did basically two things. It protected his midsection in battle, but it also gave him the freedom to be a warrior. That he was able to move freely to do whatever the, the battle demanded that he should do. And the same way, living in God's truth does the same for us. It protects us and it gives us freedom. The Bible says who the sun sets free is what? Is free indeed. So there's freedom when we put on the girdle or the belt of truthfulness. And I said earlier that the truth spoken of here is truthfulness. But you need to continue to remember there is no real truth without the truth of God. This is about living out God's word. This is about the word in the flesh. It's about how God's word is incarnate in your life. That when you spend time in the word of God, how does it get lived out? This is what Paul's talking about. It should be lived out in truthful living, truthful speaking, truthful uh, thinking. All of these things are important. I love it when it speaks of the word in the flesh. That, that you are God's word to people. You're his living letter. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the apostle Paul says as much. He says, man, your life is a living letter for people to read, for people to know that you have a story, you have a testimony to tell people. In fact, this is going to be our theme for the year 2013. The theme will be this, you are his living letter. And we're going to start it off, we're going to kick it off at Christmas time. And the, the title, the theme of Christmas is God's living letter. And the scripture is John, the gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, where it says, And the word became flesh, and the word, the living letter, dwelt among us. Listen, you have a story to tell. What I think is probably the most um, difficult thing for us to understand is that our story means something. I know the enemy would want to tell you it doesn't mean anything. It has no power. It can't get anything accomplished. And that can be the furthest thing from the truth. Your story and how God has graced you, how God has filled you, how God has delivered you is powerful. Jesus in you is the hope of glory. And I know the Lord's wanting to teach us that. He's wanting to fill us with his Holy Spirit so we understand this. Now go a little further in verse 14 with me if you would. It's another item mentioned in the armor along with the belt of truth. And that's the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is pretty obvious. It would be like a modern day bulletproof vest. Uh, today, if you were wearing something like this, it may be made of Kevlar or something like that. It, it protected your most vital organs. That, that's what the breastplate would do. And what does it say here that the breastplate is made of? It's made of righteousness. Again, Paul's referring to our behavior. Remember that. He's referring to how you live. And that's why he tells us to put on or put in place the full armor of God. He's talking to believers in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to make another distinction here for you so you have a really clear understanding of what Paul's saying here. Paul is not talking about the imputed righteousness which we receive at salvation. Let me tell you what that is. It's when I come to that place convicted by God's Holy Spirit. I need a Savior. I need Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins. So I invite him into my life. He becomes my Lord and Savior. There's nothing I could have done to work for that. It's a gift, a free gift from God. And the Bible says all who call on his name will be saved. And today I stand in his righteousness before the Father in heaven. The blood of Jesus cleanses me from all unrighteousness. 
That's what he's given me. That's the free gift of salvation. Paul's talking about something else here. Let me tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about right living. He's talking about holy living. Paul's talking about the evidence seen in someone's life when they know they've been forgiven, when they know they stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, when they know it's not about works, when they know it's a gift, a free gift from God. What is the expression of that in your life? He's saying it should be holy living. He's saying that's the breastplate of righteousness. It's holy living before God and before men. It's not a means of being saved. That's not what he's talking about here, but it's the evidence of someone who is saved. I know that the term uh, good works bothers people sometimes. I wished it wouldn't because in the New Testament it talks quite a bit about good works. I guess it's just how we associate it. I'm not talking about good works that get you to heaven because that'll never happen. I'm just talking about the good works you live out inspired and empowered by God's Holy Spirit. And that's what's happening here. And that's what Paul's talking about. So I want to be clear here. Again, I'm not talking about working for your salvation. I'm talking about living a holy life. Listen, good works, right living, paves the way for God's strength in your life. We don't glory in our good works, but they do help us fight off the enemy. Now I want to I do something just for a moment. I, I had to you know, examine my own heart just reading this and asking myself about good works and where do I see that and how do I live that out and how does my life look before God? Do you know when the Lord asked me to help others through good works? It's interesting. He asked me to help others through good works when I need help myself. Isn't that interesting how the Lord does that? How the Lord has asked me in the past to pray for people who are sick when I'm sick myself. Or he asked me to give a good word to somebody when I'm insecure and I need a good word. He asked me to go and give something to somebody when I'm in need. You know what this is all about? This is all about obedience and the power of God. It doesn't have anything to do with the way you feel. We've been so inclined to do things by how we feel. Well, Lord, I just don't really feel like that. I don't really feel like encouraging someone today because I need encouragement myself. And the Lord says that's precisely why you need to go and encourage someone. When you do that, you're wearing the breastplate of righteousness, of right living. I think one of the reasons the church today and so many of our lives are anemic is because we're waiting around to feel good about what we do. That'll never happen. God asks you, sometimes in your worst moment, to do something so contrary to the way you feel. Go encourage somebody, but God, I'm in the dumps. How can I really do that? And the Lord's saying, I'm not asking you that. I'm asking you to do it. And then it's not by might, nor by power, but it's my spirit, says the Lord. And we haven't had the spirit of God's strength tested in our lives because we haven't been obedient. We've gone with our feelings. Wow. How much are we missing out on? How much are you and me missing out on? Because he's probably going to ask you to do something that's the furthest thing from your mind at that time. I know he's done that with me. I know that's happened in my life. I want to go a little further if I can. Can you hold on for just a second? I want to, I want to ask a question. And please take this in the right spirit, please. 
Did you come to church today with the priority of giving something away? Was the first thing on your mind was that I'm going to give something away today? The early church, when they would come and they would gather, it was about giving something away. It was about giving praise to God. It was about giving joy to those that were downhearted in their congregation, in their community of believers. It was about giving their money so that they could help make disciples. They were all about just what can I do, Lord? How can I come and worship you and give something to you? Now I get it. I understand that we're about getting the word of God in our hearts. That's why I hope we come and we want to see change in our lives. Certainly I want to see it in my life. I want to see it in your life. But I want to say this. God is giving you something so you can give it away. He's nourishing you so that you can nourish others. He's strengthening you so you can strengthen others. He's just not wanting to go to waste and and muddle down and be watered out in your own life. He said, I want to give you something so you can be faithful to give it. To give it to someone else. I was talking to my grandmother before she passed away and she said, she called me, she said, honey, What do you think your grandpa's most favorite thing about church was? And I thought about it for a moment. I I knew it wasn't singing because he didn't sing. He couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. He just did. His mouth hardly even moved during the song service. I watched him. I knew it wasn't just about lifting his hands and feeling good because he never lifted his hands. He was a pretty stoic fellow. So I said, Grandma, what, what was his favorite thing about church? She said his favorite thing about church was going And giving his tithe to God. Wow, have things changed. He said he would love to do that. He couldn't wait for that moment of worship when he came and he was able to give back something. Your grandpa was about that. And I thought to myself when I read this scripture, there was a man who lived with the breastplate of righteousness in place. He put it on. Because you can tell the people who wear it, they give. For those that don't, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. In fact, it says here that the breastplate covered the most vital organs on your body. So you're exposed to the fiery darts. You're exposed to the death blows of the enemy. You know, every now and again, it doesn't happen that often, but every now and again, Someone will write me an anonymous note saying that they weren't given a warm, friendly greeting when when they walked in. And this is my response. My response would be, if I knew who they were, it would be this. Then give someone a greeting like you want to be greeted. I think some of us are just living in our selfishness today. We're just wallowing around like victims. And God says, there's a simple solution. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Live a holy life. A holy life means that when you see someone, you warmly greet them. Even if you don't feel like you've been greeted well, greet someone. Counteract the enemy. Do the opposite. I've told you this. Whenever I feel fear in my life, I look to find out where that fear is coming from, and I try to run at it. Because if I know I run at it, I'm doing the opposite of what the enemy wants me to do. I want to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And you know, if that person or persons would just reach out, even though they may not have felt warmly greeted, if they would reach out and greet others, 
it would solve two big problems. Number one is this. It would pretty much get rid of any lack of hospitality. It would go away. And secondly, it would spiritually protect your vital organs because you would have in place the breastplate of good and right living. And please remember this wonderful principle. It's in the Proverbs. In order to have friends, then you must do something. Does anybody know the answer? Show yourself friendly. It's a principle. You can fight that principle all you want. You can say, I don't feel like it. Well, that's not my personality. Doesn't matter. The word is the word. All of us are going to go through times where we just don't feel like it. And listen, can I tell you something? A confession. Pastors not, are not immune to that. There's times I wake up a Sunday morning and go, man, I don't want to go to church. I don't know what to tell you. Man, I don't want to see a lot of people today. I'd like to just kind of hang out with Annette or with my kids, but I'll go to church. And you know what? When I start feeling this, and Annette knows me. She, she sees me do this. When I start feeling that, that selfishness, you know, like I want to go hide out, I counteract it by seeing more people than I normally would. I just think, all right, I'm going to just get out there and mix it up. I don't feel like it today. I want to go hide in a hole. I don't want to preach. I don't want to sing. I don't want to talk to anybody. But today, I'm going to put on the breastplate of righteousness, and I'm going to see everyone I can see. I'm going to shake your hand like it's going to fall off. You know what I realize? After two or three warm greetings, all of that goes away. And I think, thank God. Thank God I'm here. Thank God I'm part of this family. And thank God I put on the breastplate of righteousness today. Because I could be a sitting duck if I didn't do that. Folks, don't be a spiritually sitting duck. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. And in essence, this is what it, what it teaches us. You can't expect to get something that you aren't willing to give yourself. Paul says this. Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness and protect your vital organs from the death blows of the enemy. That's what he's saying to you. What are some of those death blows? Can I, can I tell you? what I know what they are with me. And it's interesting. It's the breastplate of righteousness. And it's where we feel the most. It's where we hurt the most. It's where we're happy the most. It's right here. Have you just feel it in your guts? You know, it's all right here. People say, well, you wear your heart on your sleeves. That's they're talking about right here. It's not an accident. It's, it's the breastplate of righteousness or righteous living that's put right here. Because there's so many things that go on right here. And the enemy would love more than anything to get to those places in your life and this is how he does it here are the death blows that come unforgiveness Ooh, it's a death blow because he says all those who've been forgiven should forgive others that's a death unforgiveness is a death blow here's another one it's bitterness boom Something happens to you and it just festers and festers and festers. Listen, I've seen more people physically and spiritually die because of bitterness. And I, I, no exaggeration. Bitterness has killed more people on planet earth than any other disease ever. Bitterness is a death blow. When you're not wearing the breastplate of righteousness. You know another one? Another one is, 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 is pride. 
I can do this on my own. Nobody needs to help me. I can take care of this. It's prideful living. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness means this, that when I start to become unforgiving, I begin to forgive. When greed takes over, I want to give away. When pride takes over, I want to live humbly before my God. Remember when you're walking around this earth and you're in those battles, God has given you the whole armor of God. He's given you the waistband, the girdle of truth, truthful living. He's given you the breastplate of righteousness, right living, so that you can fend off the attacks of the enemy every single day you wake up. Put on the whole armor of God. Be strong. After doing everything to stand, stand firm. And I know God will bring victory to your life. Would you bow your heads with me? Would you do that? Father, we just come to you today and we, we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table. That you have essentially set this table by your word. And that we would come today and we would remember you. That you are the center of our lives. That even through the word, you're called a great warrior. You're called more than a conqueror. Lord, we come to you today and we ask that you would go before us, come behind us, and that we would see you fighting our battles. And whatever we do, we want to do in the strength of Christ Jesus. Jesus, you've been such a warrior. You've fought for our salvation. You've given the ultimate price of a soldier. That is your life. Your blood. Your broken body. You defended those who could not defend themselves. You saved those that could not save themselves. You've healed those that could not heal themselves. You are the great defender. You're the great warrior. Thank you for saving us. And today we come to the table and we remember that together. Your life, your death, your resurrection. Your blood poured out. Your body broken for all of us. So that we may be redeemed, bought back. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge 
shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. His body was broken. His blood was spilt. And when you come to this table, you'll be reminded that the cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that it is his blood that has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. That it's his broken body that has given us a way to have a relationship with our Father in heaven. That we could not have that relationship otherwise. But now it even goes further because of Jesus Christ and his broken body. We can call our Father in heaven, Abba Father. Intimate Father, loving Father, caring Father. It's all because of what he's done through his spilt blood and his broken body. Ephesians 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When you come to the table today, would you bring a few things with you? First, and the most important thing is you. Because really, that's what God wants. He wants your heart. He wants a relationship with you. The Bible says to present yourself as a living and holy sacrifice. This is your reasonable service. We come and give something to God. You can also come and you can bring the prayer requests or praise reports that you have. We want to know what they are. We want to pray and intercede and do those things that we know we do as part of a faith community. You can bring those and place those in the containers that are found on this table. And there are two tables in the back as well. And the third thing is that we bring our gifts, our tithe, our offering. It's this one time when we come to the Lord's table that we actually get up and physically bring our worship, our gifts to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing here. And I found myself praying this way. Let me be like my grandfather. Let me enjoy. Let me look forward to this time of worship in my life. And I know God will bless us. That when you come today, come with all of your heart. And remember what God has spoken to us. Remember what he said in his word. The Apostle Paul gives us that instruction. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread, whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do this in remembrance of a great warrior. Someone who has gone and conquered sin and death. Who has set us free. He is the great warrior. Father, we want to thank you today for being the one who has set us free. Who has accomplished things that we could never accomplish on our own. Who has given us a wonderful gift of life. A gift of liberty. The gift that you've given us, all these gifts are by your hand. Because you loved us. Thank you for loving us when we were unlovable. Thank you for finding us when we didn't want to be found. Thank you for seeking after those that are lost. In Jesus' name, amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503 266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.